So why don't you turn in your Bible to the book of Micah? No one could really say for sure why he ran away or, or perhaps he didn't. Maybe he was kicked out of his home by his father or something that was foolish that he said or did, but either way, Paco found himself wandering the streets of Madrid, Spain aimlessly, trying to figure out what he wanted to do with his life, bummed out, um, almost wanting to take his own life. So he decided, I'm gonna be a bullfighter. <laughs> Bullfighting is not a great way to go. Those who train under a mentor have a somewhat of a chance of surviving the profession, but Paco's um, memory of his mistakes and his guilt over what happened blindly drove him to almost what was a suicidal attitude. But that's the last thing his father wanted of Paco. It's why he tried something desperate to find his son. He couldn't really just run around Madrid looking for his son. Um, that would be hopeless. But what he did try was interesting. There was um, the, the local paper of Madrid, El Liberal, and um, he, he took out a full page ad in the, the newspaper. And the advertisement read this, Paco, meet me at the Hotel Montana as soon, uh, pardon me, at noon on Tuesday, all is forgiven, love, Papa. Now, one thing that you may not know is Paco is such a common name in Spain. That's when the father went to the hotel in Montana and the next day at noon, there were 800 young men named Paco <laughs> waiting to see their fathers um, and waiting and wanting the forgiveness that they never thought was possible. Um, Paco, all is forgiven. What, a, what a, uh, an amazing thing, the need that we have for forgiveness. Um, you and I need that. The world needs to be forgiven of its sins. Um, and God's mercy, that's the word mercy, uh, where God does not give us what we deserve. We deserve death and hell, but when he forgives us, he then says, I'm gonna be merciful to you. Now, the problem today uh, still happens, even in Christianity, where we think that forgiveness from God or forgiveness in general comes from trying to earn forgiveness somehow. You know, being good enough, uh, living your best and the most Christ-like way you possibly can live your life, uh, serving the poor, loving your neighbor, uh, keeping the 10 commandments, etc. But as it turns out, the result of all the efforts that have been tried and years, some people spend years trying to sort of earn God's forgiveness, they end up worn out and frustrated because um, we know in our hearts that we'll never really be good enough. We never measure up even though you might try and you might even be better than most, there's still this understanding in your mind and in your heart that says, man, you're a sinner. Um, and trying in vain to save themselves sort of through a legalistic mindset. Oh, if I can just do enough or be enough, then God will forgive me. But if that's not the case, then where can a person sincerely look for real forgiveness? Um, this is where our most wonderful text comes in today. And by the way, I'm gonna have you turn to sort of a, toward the end of the book. We're gonna sort of read the last chapter of the book uh, first. Have you ever done that in reading a book? Um, Micah is full of really cool scriptures. Most of my favorite scriptures from Micah are at the last part of it. So we might spend the next couple of weeks going over some of those verses toward the end. On Wednesday night, we'll co cover you know, chapters one through seven as we go, but turn with me to Micah chapter seven. And there is where we will read um, this most glorious, uh, I find it comforting and powerful verse 
right here, Micah 7, 18. And there we read in Micah 7, 18, who is a God like unto thee that pardoneth iniquity and passeth by the transgression of the remnant of his heritage? He retaineth not his anger forever because he delights in mercy. He will turn again. He will have compassion on us. He will subdue our iniquities and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. Man, I love that. What a great and glorious section of scripture right here. Um, the Lord, some of the phrases here that catch my attention, you know, right there, um, the Lord in verse 18, the end, he delights in mercy. The Lord just loves to be merciful. That's why when you read in the Psalms, you know, it says the Lord's mercy endures forever. Um, you know, of all the things you could exhaust, um, one of those things is you cannot exhaust the mercy of God. Um, you know, there's, there's few topics on the, on the earth that we could talk about that are as important as forgiveness. God's forgiveness and his mercy. Um, you know, when you think about your life, um, do, have you thought enough about this topic? Um, outside of Sydney, New York, there's a tombstone with only the inscription, forgiven. No name, no dates, just the word forgiven. And really that's insightful because that's the only thing that matters in life really, if you're talking about eternal life. Because the truth is um, the only way to eternal life rather than eternal death and hell is to be forgiven of your sins. I like another phrase, the last phrase we read in verse 19, and thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. You know, I love the depths of the sea concept. You know, we talked about Mariana's Trench last week when we were talking about Jonah. Remember the seven mile deep trench there, uh, not far from Guam? Uh, it's an amazing deep, it's the deepest part of the ocean. It's almost as deep as Mount Everest is high. Uh, it's, it's a similar uh, altitude change uh, from the sea level and what have you, it's, it's deep. But all that to say, um, you know, when you go down to that trench, one of the things, it doesn't take long, you get to the, the depth where um, it's completely absent of light. Um, it's completely dark down in there. Um, I like that. By the way, did you know even the Willamette River gets completely dark at the bottom of the Willamette? Um, Joey and I, a couple years ago, got to do a thing. Jason was involved. We were, we were, uh, we were out on the Willamette River. A buddy of ours lost a, a jet ski. Uh, his pump failed and it was one of these jet skis. Didn't have quite the, it was more of a racing kind of jet ski. But anyway, it sunk to the bottom. And so we asked the guys, so where's this jet ski? And, and so uh, we went out there and, and Brian, we all went out and kind of uh, searched with a fish finder and we saw some sturgeon down there and big ones. And then also we saw sort of, well, we weren't convinced that it was a jet ski, Jason was, but we were like, ah, well, well, we'll see. So we dropped anchor and Joey and I got on our scuba gear and we dropped down the anchor line 50 feet. Now you have to understand, even at the Willamette River, pitch black down at the bottom, you can't see light. Um, and it's also silty. So even if you have a flashlight, you can only see like two feet in front of you. So it's a little weird down there, especially when you know there's these big 150 pound sturgeon down there that wanna swim right up to your mask. Anyway, um, so Joey and I had a carabiner. We clipped onto that uh, anchor line and we tied uh, a knot in the rope every four feet. And Joey grabbed a knot and I grabbed a knot and we did a circumference around the anchor, just kind of felt the, the floor of the Willamette River to see if we'd bump into this jet ski. And then we'd take another knot out and then we'd go another circumference. And it was about, what was it, Joey? Like the fifth or sixth uh, circumference, we're just going along all of a sudden, boom, we bumped into the jet ski. 
And so we had the lift bags with us. We, you, they're just little rolled up plastic bags. You clip onto the jet ski and you take your breather and puff a little puff of air, just a little puff. And, and the, the bag fills up and, and pretty soon the jet ski comes lifting up out of the river. Uh, it was a great operation. I thought maybe 20% chance of getting a jet ski found, but uh, we all walked away feeling pretty Jacques Cousteau um, <laughs> after that. But even in the Willamette River, it's pitch black down there and it's, you can't see a thing. That's amazing. On a sun, it was a sunny day that day. Um, but the reason I, I love that the, the sins that you and I commit, God says, I'm gonna throw them into the depths of the sea, that there's no, there's no looking down there. It's pitch black. There's no light on your sin. It's put in darkness. I love the, the, the things that the Bible says about your and my sins. It says, he'll take your sins and put them as far as the east is from the west. And he'll, he'll, uh, Job talks about how he'll take your sins and put them in a bag. But Micah tells us he takes that bag and throws it into the depths of the sea. And I might add, the Lord puts a sign there that says, no fishing. Um, it's, it's meant to be left at the depths of the sea. That's the idea. Um, that God not only forgives our sins, but completely tosses them into the one place in the world where they become totally invisible, the depths of the sea. I love that. And then another phrase, the, the rhetorical beginning uh, right here in verse 18, where it says, who is like the Lord, who is like you know, God? It's a rhetorical question that demands the answer, no one. There's no, nobody but God can actually forgive sins. Um, interestingly enough, did you know Socrates wrestled with this, the idea of the forgiveness of sins? Um, and this was his conclusion. Socrates said, um, it may be that the deity can forgive sins, but I do not see how. As it turns out, it's not a how, it's a who. The forgiveness of sins would come through God himself as God would become a man, live on this earth. You know, some of you might say, man, if Socrates couldn't figure it out, how am I supposed to figure it out? Well, that's where we come from an advantage where we have the word of God and God's word tells us how God deals with the sinful condition of humanity. Um, you know, from the Garden of Eden, man sinned and messed up everything. Um, the rest of the Bible is about God reconciling us to himself. And how does he do that? He says, man, um, the wages of sin or the cost of sin is death eternal in hell. But I love how Micah, our, our text tells us that God is the one who can forgive sin. You know, who, who is like unto God that can forgive sin? Do you remember when Jesus was there in the gospel of Mark? We read there as he was um, teaching um, these Friends brought their crippled friend on a stretcher, but they couldn't get him in the house, so they tore the roof off the house and lowered him in right before Jesus and wanted their buddy to get healed. Don't you love this? But, but what's, what's important to note in that story, the, the kind of the big deal is not just that the guy was about to get healed, but more importantly, Jesus looked at that guy and said, your sins are forgiven. Well, the Pharisees stand up, only God can forgive sin. What does this guy think he is? As it turns out, God was standing there before them. But just to show that these guys, that he who spoke, you know, your sins are forgiven, had the power to forgive sins, he also said, take up your bed and walk. And the guy got up and walked out of that house. Amazing story. But what was the big deal that day? It was a miracle, yes, but I would say the bigger deal, and Jesus even said, which one's harder? To say your sins are forgiven or take up your bed and walk? He asked the, the Pharisees that question. And the implication is it's a bigger deal that Jesus could say to that man, your sins 
are forgiven. You know, some people might even say, how can a just God, a righteous God be the forgiver of sins? Well, that's just it. Jesus, our righteousness, the Bible calls him. Jesus, who was perfect, who knew no sin, came to this world, God became a man, Emmanuel, God himself, comes and born in Bethlehem, a babe, lived as a humble servant. In fact, the Bible says in Philippians 2, he made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And then it says, and he became uh, obedient as a servant, but he also was obedient even to the death of the cross. That Jesus came, this perfect you know, God who became a man without sin, and then he dies the most torturous, brutal death you can imagine. The Romans made it an art form, crucifixion how to make a person suffer and stay alive the longest. That was their specialty. And so when we talk about forgiveness, what, what, what happened there? God came up with a plan to say, I'm gonna save the world from its sins. That whoever believes in me will not perish, but have everlasting life. What a glorious truth. God is the forgiver of sin. He doesn't just wink at sin. He doesn't just blow off sin. He actually dealt with sin and became the propitiation for our sin. What's that word? That's a doctrinal word from the New Testament. The, the, I love the word propitiation, I'll tell you why. Because it explains sort of a, almost like a business transaction, like redemption, but even more. Um, the word propitiation means the satisfaction of what was required for you and I to get off the hook. There was a payment that needed to be made for you to go to heaven, for me to go to heaven. And guess what? Jesus was our propitiation, the satisfaction of what was required to have our sins forgiven. And that's where it's at. That's where it's at. Now, do you value forgiveness as much as you once did? I remember when I was saved at the ripe old age of five, sitting there with my mom eating peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and she told me I was a sinner. And I'm like, yeah, of course. Uh, I knew that by five, I knew I was a sinner. And I accepted Christ. But you know what? Um, one of the things that some of us old timer Christians, we almost forget the glory and the wonder of God's mercy. We can sing about it. Oh yeah, God's mercy. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, I'm forgiven of my sins. And we get all, you know, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and, but we forget that burden of sin that maybe some of you once carried and you almost forget what a glorious thing that forgiveness really is, the forgiveness of sin. God being merciful. Um, this verse that we've just, these two verses we've just read, how glorious that is. And I just wanna maybe remind us of some of the, the reasons forgiveness is so important. It might just be the most important thing we talk about in our lives. Forgiveness, the most important? Well, let's consider, if you jot down, I've got, I think, five or so things I'd like to remind you. The first thing that forgiveness does is it gives us peace of mind. You might even say, you know, a clear conscience. When you were in sin as a sinner before you were saved, man, there was guilt. And that's something God has built into humanity. We know that we're sinners. You might even be an atheist here, but in some ways, whether you want to admit it or not, when you do stuff you know is wrong and evil, your heart tells you that, that you're a sinner. And as an atheist or an agnostic, you might say, well, I'm just gonna push that away because if there is no God, then it really doesn't matter. Um, and so everybody does some bad things once in a while or whatever. You try to rationalize away, you know, uh, intellectually or whatever. 
but what is it that's innately built into you? Like it's as, it's as instinctive as the Arctic turn that flies south for the winter. God built that into humanity to know that we're sinners. We've sinned. And there's something about that that's more than just, oh, I made a mistake. There's something that, there's a, there's a gravity and a weight uh, that we call guilt. And many people live with guilt. And you know what? We were not designed by God to be a people that live with heavy burdens of guilt. It messes you up. I believe that heavy burdens of guilt can drive you crazy. Um, in fact, this is a true uh, story. Back, uh, Carl Menninger was a famed uh, psychiatrist who once said if he could convince the patients in a psychiatric hospital, for you younger people, there were places we put people that had mental illness um, before we put them out in tents in Portland. But um, um, like it really is sad. Like it, it's sad to me how, you know, we kind of did away with the, the uh, mental hospitals and what have largely. But, um, but back when they did that, back when I was in high school, um, Menninger, uh, he said, of all the patients in the psychiatric hospitals, that if he could convince them that their sins were forgiven, he said 75% of them could walk out the next day perfectly whole. He was recognizing that the, the guilt that goes along with all the sin that a person has done can really drive you to literally mental illness. Um, but what's so great is God says, I didn't design you to carry that guilt, so guess what? I provided the way, the truth, and the life for you to get away from that weight, the burden that you were not designed to carry. But some people just live with that and they just keep living with that. Some people have attempted to live with just a guilty conscience all the time. Maybe some of you Christians have had a little taste of that when you, you're doing something you know is technically wrong and you just kind of keep doing it, but you're kind of like, oh, but yeah, it's not that big a deal. Um, but you kind of feel guilty. Um, have you ever driven your car with a taillight out and you knew your taillight was out? Sinner, don't you know that's illegal? You're breaking the law driving your car with that taillight, oh, come on, Brett. Yeah, but if you know what I mean, or, or like, have you ever forgot to get your, uh, you know, uh, tags for your license plate? And you're driving around, you're like, oh, my tags are expired. Oh, I probably should do that. Yeah, you're like an illegal sinner driving around with your ex expired tags. And, and you know what I mean, you're driving around Tualatin, it's like all good, and then all of a sudden you see a police car, and you're like, oh man, uh, how, maybe I should turn left so that he doesn't see my license plate. Uh, that's, uh, and, and you kind of have this pit in your stomach, I could get pulled over, I could get in trouble for an item. And, and, and you know, that's just that kind of living with guilt and sin that's sort of plaguing you. Now, I've never done any of those things. So I, I'm not even sure how I knew all that stuff. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, I've done that before. My old 69 Land Cruiser, half the stuff didn't work on it. Um, uh, uh, but uh, I'm sure I would've got pulled over had he known I was driving with my throttle pedal being a set of vice grips through the firewall, pulling the throttle. Like, like that, that's how I drove this for, for several months. I, I actually got really good at it, um, driving like that. Uh, that probably was illegal, I knew that. But um, as it turns out, this, this conscience that we have, it's a guilty conscience. The Lord says, I wanna fix that. Um, one of the things that forgiveness does is it gives you that sprinkling of a guilty conscience um, to be redeemed and saved. Hebrews chapter nine, I love this verse, uh, verse 13 and 14. It says, for if the blood of bulls and goats and ashes of a heifer sprinkling the unclean sanctifies to the purifying of the flesh, 
How much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? You know, the author writing to the Jews, the Hebrews, he says, you guys gave sacrifices in the Old Testament and you guys felt better. Like on the day of atonement when the high priest would, they'd make sacrifice and the high priest would go in with his fancy clothes and then he'd strip himself of the robes and then go into the Holy of Holies. And then he'd come out of the Holy of Holies at the end of the day and then he'd declare to all the people of Israel, your sins are forgiven. And there'd be a huge celebration and the people knew that they had been, their, their sins were atoned for through that sacrificial process. The author of Hebrews saying, when you guys felt all happy that your sins were forgiven for that year on the day of atonement, how much more will the, the blood of Jesus Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, he was sinless. And what does that do? It purges you of your guilty conscience of dead works to serve the living God. Man, this is such an encouraging word. That's what the Lord Jesus does. He, you and I can walk away knowing that our sins are forgiven and we don't have to walk around with that guilt and shame of our sins. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts, the word heart there is the psyche, your mind and your emotions, sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Man, the, the, the guilty, dirty sins that we've committed, the Lord says, man, as we draw near with, to the Lord, our conscience are sprinkled um, from an evil conscience and our bodies washed. I love that. First Peter chapter three, verse 21, talking about baptism, like figure wherein even baptism doth now also save us, not the putting away of the filth of the flesh, but the answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Man, I love it. Lately, we've been doing lots and lots of baptisms. I don't know if you guys know that or not, but um, it's been really cool this last season. We used to do big baptisms down by the river, but it was getting a little awkward. We were getting like 400 people down on the river at George Rogers Park and um, all the bikinis and sunbathers, they're all kind of like being taken over by a bunch of Christians. It was, I'm not sure, it was, like, it was kind of funny and we were like, come and join us. And we even had some people get baptized from the sunbather group and all that. But um, but it got to be where I felt like it wasn't great. So, and, and then when the corona thing hit, everybody was freaked out of crowds and stuff. So we just decided, hey, let's just do more baptisms, smaller groups. And so we started doing that. Now we're doing tons more baptisms with what we thought were gonna be smaller groups, but those groups are growing and now they're big like the other groups. But we're just, we're, we're doing lots of baptisms lately at Athey. That's so great. Um, what is baptism? Man, it's, it's, we're told in the Bible, repent and be baptized. It's part of our Christian faith. I don't believe baptism makes you a Christian. That's what it says, you know, baptism does, you know, also save us. Not the putting away the filth of flesh. Jesus did that for us. Um, but the answer of a good conscience toward God. What baptism is, is it's a public declaration of what God has actually done in your life. So when you get baptized, you're saying in front of all those people watching and before the Lord saying, I recognize that when I get dunked under this water, I'm being washed from my sins. I'm acknowledging that Jesus died on the cross, rose from the grave, and, and because he rose, I get to raise up from my death of sin, and my sins are forgiven as well. And you walk away knowing when you got baptized, if Satan ever in your life whispers in your, you're a sinner, you can say, yes, I am, but I buried all my sins in the river that day I was baptized, back in whatever date you got baptized. It's a, it's a thing a believer gets to do that's such a privilege 
But the baptism, part of the benefit is you have that, that answer of a good conscience toward God. You know that God has washed your sins away. If you were baptized as an infant, man, like I said last week, your parents, you know, well-meaning and stuff. But actually in the Bible, all the people who were baptized were old enough to know what they were doing. And it had to do with repentance. Repent and be baptized. That's what it always says. Almost always those two words are put together. Repent and be baptized. To acknowledge your sins are bad, that's repentance. Acknowledge them before God. And then be baptized as a willing act of you choosing to be saved and forgiven and showing that that's what you believe. If you wanna get baptized, man, I wanna encourage you, call the church office, hey, when's the next baptism? And uh, they're doing them all the time, lots of them. Uh, we'd love to baptize you. It's a little chilly right now, but you know, God shows them frozen, it's good. Um, as you're being dunked in the river. Um, or you could wait till June, but either way, baptism is essential and it's very important. Don't forget that. Um, uh, but Brett, don't we have to go through a nine week class on baptism? Um, no, that's just stuff people do. Uh, remember the Ethiopian eunuch there in the book of Acts where Philip bumps into this guy and he's reading the book of Isaiah and the guy's like, what's this Isaiah talking about? And Philip says, he's talking about Jesus. And he's like, oh, okay, um, hey, here's some water over here. What hinders me from being baptized? And Philip didn't say, well, if you go to our nine week class and you get the white baptismal robes and you get all the fancy, no. Um, Philip said, do you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins? And he says, yes, I do. And he said, then let's go. And they right there, right then went into the river or the water, whatever was there and baptized um, the Ethiopian eunuch. I love that. And that's what, the way we roll at Athey Creek. If you believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins, that he rose up from the grave, um, then you get to go get baptized, acknowledging what God does, that he's merciful and that he put your sins as far as the East is from the rest. And he washes your conscience, um, like it says here, an answer of a good conscience toward God by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. You know, speaking of atheists and what have you, um, Marganita Lasky, not long before she died, way back in 1988, she was sort of famous as one of the best known secular humanists that was out there pushing all that stuff. When I was in high school, she was a big name that people were quoting and what have you. But um, not long before she died, she said something, according to John Stott in his book, The Contemporary Christian, um, she, she said this. She said, what I envy most about you Christians is your forgiveness. She said, I have no one to forgive me. That's what she said. Because you know, if you're an atheist, secular humanist, you really don't have anybody to forgive you. You don't believe there, there's anybody out there. But she said, that's what I envy most. Man's greatest need is God's greatest deed. We need forgiveness of sin and Jesus did that on the cross dying for our sins. So number one, wow, I'm going too slow here, um, <laughs> peace. Um, we, we have uh, a pure conscience and it gives us peace of mind, number one. Number two, um, what does forgiveness do? It gives us a relationship with God. Do you remember last week we were talking about Jonah and when he was in rebellion, we talked about how sin separates us from God and we made that a point last week. Um, but you have to understand that's what, that's what sin does. But when you have your sins forgiven, the word is reconciliation. You were separated from God, but when God forgives you of your sins, you are then reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. It's such a great thing. Peter had to learn this. Remember when Jesus was talking to Peter and the, the disciples are all sitting around the table and Jesus goes and strips himself of his clothes, wraps a towel around himself like a servant would or a slave, and then he starts washing the disciples' feet. 
And what's amazing is all the disciples are like, yeah, whatever, uh, thanks Jesus. Can you get a little more between that big toe? Yeah, thank you. Like they, they didn't care until Peter. Peter is there and Peter says, Lord, I should be washing your feet, not you washing my feet. And do you remember what Jesus said? Peter, unless you let me wash your feet, you can have no part with me. Now, poor Peter, always putting his foot in his mouth. Um, he says, well, then my, not just my feet, my head and my hands also, Lord, just give me a whole bath right now. And Jesus said, oh, it's not your head and your hands. You're clean. It's your feet that are dirty that need to be cleaned. And there's a truth there, by the way. Even if you're saved and washed and forgiven, you and I, we daily touch dirty things, don't we? There's sin, sinful stuff all around us. And that's why we, we need to, you know, First John chapter one, verse nine, why do we need to confess our sins? If Christ died once for all sin on the cross, why do we need to keep confessing? The answer, um, it's the same thing that Jesus was talking about. When we touch this dirty world, you and I need to reconcile back to God through repentance and just say, Lord, forgive me for my sins. And the Lord says, I'm quick to you know, forgive you and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. It's almost like in God's economy at the bank, um, your balance is zero because Jesus died on the cross. Your debt is zero. But when you gotta check your own checking account and you see your sins you've done, you need to kind of get that all cleaned up by confession and say, Lord, I've sinned against you so that your balance matches his. That's kind of the best way to, to look at it. So Peter realized unless his feet were washed by Jesus, John chapter 13, he could have no relationship with him. So that's an important part of what forgiveness brings is you can have a relationship with God because your sins are forgiven. Second Corinthians five, verses 18 and 19, all things are of God who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation to wit that God was in Christ reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. You see a word in there that's kind of used over and over again? <laughs> reconciliation, that's what God is into. He wants to reconcile sinful, lost humanity to himself. And he did that through Jesus Christ. Um, Colossians chapter one, verses 19 through 22. For it pleased the Father that in him should all fullness dwell. And having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself. By him, I say, whether they be things in the earth or things in heaven, and you that were sometime alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works. Yet now he hath reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. When you and I get to stand before the Lord, he'll see you as holy unblameable and unreprovable in his sight. That's an amazing miracle. One of the greatest miracles in the cosmos is how God can take our sins and wipe them out, give us a clean slate and a new start. Um, this idea of reconciliation, in an interview with Will Norton Jr., best-selling novelist John Gershom recalls this story. He said, one of my best friends in college died when he was 25. Just a few years after we had finished Mississippi State University, I was in law school, he says. He called me one day and wanted to get together, so we had lunch. And there he told me we, he had terminal cancer. I couldn't believe it. I asked him, what do you do when you realize that you're about to die? And his young friend said this. He said, it's real simple. You get things right with God and you spend as much time with those you love as you can. Then you settle up with everybody else 
Then he said, you know, really, you ought to live every day like you have only a few days to live. It's really true. Um, you know, this idea of living with unforgiven sins or you're unrepentant and you're wrong and separated from God, not a great way to live. That's a burden you weren't designed to carry. God wants to have you live with that light burden. His load is easy, his burden is light, but our sin puts a huge load on your back that you were not meant to carry. Um, so it gives us peace, forgiveness. It gives us a relationship with God. Number three, it give, it, it, this is a big one. It keeps us out of hell. Can I be more blunt? Forgiveness keeps you out of hell. I hope you understand this. This is how important forgiveness is. Do you realize that, that, that that's why forgiveness might just be the most important topic we could talk about? Because if you don't have the forgiveness of God, you are going directly to hell. You do not pass go and you do not collect $200. Um, nobody was laughing. That was a game we played back in the old days uh, <laughs> called Monopoly. Anyway, <laughs> you go to hell if you have not had your sins forgiven. Now, here's the problem. Um, you know, hell is something that Today, preachers are afraid to talk about. Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon in the 1800s said concerning a preacher locally there in London, um, they came and asked him about this preacher who would never use the term hell. Instead, he would say, that place we do not want to go. That's always what he would say. He'd never say the word hell. Um, they said, what do you think about that, Spurgeon? And he said, that preacher should never be allowed to preach ever again. And I believe that's true. Um, if hell is real, which it is, should it be feared? You're just trying to scare us, Pastor Brett. Exactly. <laughs> if hell is real, it's a place you do not wanna go. And the Bible description of hell is horrifyingly bad. Um, you know, Jesus was, people marveled at Jesus's gracious words. I love that. And children love to hang out with Jesus. Like I just know, like we talked about this morning with the guys, you know, he was anointed with the oil of gladness, Jesus was. But you know, one thing about Jesus that was interesting is he never, he never pulled any punches. When it came time to speaking truth, like listen to this, Jesus said in Luke 12, five, Jesus said, but I will forewarn you to whom, uh, whom you shall fear. Fear him, which after he hath killed, hath power to cast into hell. Yea, I say unto you, fear him. This is gracious, kind, loving Jesus saying, the one that can put you in hell, be afraid. That's what Jesus said. Jesus talked more about hell than he did about heaven, interestingly enough. C.S. Lewis, um, I, I remember reading somewhere that C.S. Lewis uh, didn't believe in hell. Um, but I actually have a quote that is interesting. You can tell he really wrestled with the idea of hell. Um, but check out, this is a C.S. Lewis quote. There is no doctrine which I would more willingly remove from Christianity than this, hell, if it lay in my power but it has the full support of scripture and especially of our Lord's own words, it has always been held by Christendom and has the support of reason. I mean, even though C.S. Lewis didn't want to believe in hell, he kind of had to say, yeah, we, can, we really can't get around that one. It's amazing to me how many people act like the Bible is unclear on hell. Um, have you heard that where people, well, we don't really know, or we don't know how long it's gonna be, or is it really eternal, or what, blah, blah, blah. And people are just trying to put fogginess around hell. But if you ask me, the Bible is crystal clear. 
Revelation, like this is kindergarten level. Revelation chapter 20, verse 15, talking about sinners who go to the great white throne. It says, and whoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Is that confusing? No, that's very, very clear. Some people, we've tended to, if you don't have pastors who won't talk about hell, we've made a joke out of hell. We use it as a swear word. Ah, it's hotter than hell in here. What the hell? And we use the word in a cussing sort of swearing sort of way. And, and that's only minimized people belief. And some people think hell is a joke. I heard it said by one preacher, you may laugh yourself into hell, but you cannot laugh your way out of hell. And that's the truth. Hell is to be taken seriously in the Bible. And the only way out of hell for you and for me is forgiveness. God's beautiful, loving, kind-hearted grace and mercy that he shows to his people. So what does forgiveness do? Number one, gives you peace of mind. Number two, gives us a relationship with God. Number three, keeps you out of hell. But also number, number four on the list, it gets you into heaven. Uh, gets you into heaven, I love that one. Uh, heaven, um, you know, John 14, Jesus talks about this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. The word mansion there, better translated dwelling place. Um, the translators of the King Jimmy said, let's use the word mansion because heaven's gonna be wonderful, which it is. And the translators thought, oh, a mansion's wonderful. So let's just translate that into mansion. But I believe the word mansion is a bit clumsy because some of us don't care about mansions. I don't want a mansion. Um, that doesn't sound very fun to me. But work, work, work. Um, <laughs> A big old mansion, ugly mansion. But it's, it, the Lord is, the, the, what Jesus is saying, my, I'm going to my father's house, there's many places for you to dwell. And if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place, and the idea is just for you. What, what is the place Jesus is preparing for you? I don't know, but I think it's gonna be great. He says, and if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself that where I am there, you may be also. I mean, the fact is it's gonna be great because Jesus is gonna be there. That's gonna be glorious. Um, you know, uh, speaking of heaven, Paul said to the Corinthian church in chapter two, 1 Corinthians 2, 9, but as it is written, I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. You and I can't even imagine. It's never entered into the heart of man what heaven's gonna be like. I believe heaven's going to be great. Well, Brett, the Bible does tell us stuff like mansions and streets of gold. Um, I remember thinking, I'm not into gold. Who cares that there's streets of gold? Well, that's the point. You know, here in, in, in our world, what's the most common uh, substance that nobody cares about? One of them is pavement. When you go out in the parking lot tonight, some of you guys are gonna spit right on our pavement. We paid for that pavement. <laughs> and you're spitting on it. You're gonna drive your car all over our pavement. And you're like, yeah, whatever, it's just pavement. It's just asphalt. But that's the point. It's not that when we get to heaven, we're gonna fall on the ground and go, gold, wow! We're not gonna do that. What we're gonna realize is that you know, the most expensive, valuable thing on this stupid old earth is gonna be pavement in heaven. Like that's the idea. The stuff we esteem as really important and great is gonna be something that's just nothing is the idea in heaven. The streets are gonna be paved. It's not to impress you. 
oh, pearly gates and streets paved with gold or whatever. No, heaven's gonna be so much more glorious. I think some, some of you aren't even looking forward to heaven because you think you're gonna be strumming a harp on a cloud somewhere. You're like, I'm not sure I'm into that. I'd rather be doing something else. <laughs> Especially for all eternity. Bling, <laughs> bling. Like that doesn't sound very fun. Well, that's just, that's just Warner Brothers, you guys. Are, do you believe Bugs Bunny or do you believe your Bible? That's the question. <laughs> we, even our jokes haven't helped, you know, like, a, like the, the guy that ends up at the pearly gates and Peter there with his book and his platform and the gate. Sir, what makes you think you get to go to heaven? He says, well, I've been nice. I've done nice things for people. Well, what's like, give me an example of something nice, Peter says to this guy. And he says, well, I, there was this little old lady. She was just crossing the street and all these bikers came up and started hassling this poor little old lady. And, uh, and I stood up to them and I said, you guys leave her alone. And they did. And Peter said, wow, that, that is pretty, pretty nice. Um, when did this happen? He said, about 30 seconds ago. <laughs> Some of you aren't laughing. So the bikers killed him. And that's why he's in heaven, um, standing before Peter. <laughs> but you know, we laugh at jokes like that, but you know, that's not how it's gonna work. You're not gonna get to heaven and because you helped the old lady and got killed by bikers, you're gonna get to heaven. There's only one thing that's gonna get you in heaven and it's this question, are your sins forgiven? That's the only thing that's gonna get you in heaven. Apart from forgiveness of sin, you will not make it into heaven. So the question becomes, are you forgiven? Be quick to come to Christ and repent of your sins and accept the forgiving work of God. It's, it's so amazing how easy God made it for you and I to be saved because he did all the work when Jesus died on the cross. But the question is, why is humanity so stubborn to say, yeah, I don't know about all this stuff about forgiveness and about sin. Hey, listen, you know you're a sinner. You know it. Even if you claim to be an atheist, you know it because God has built in your heart a conscience to know. So the question is, what are you gonna do? You accept Christ, repent of your sins? Doesn't mean you're gonna be perfect or never sin again. Christ died for all your sins, past, present, even your future ones you've yet to even commit. Jesus died for all those, Hebrews says, once for all. And, and sometimes we try to sell it, well, if you become a Christian, you'll be happy. I can't even really pro promise that, but you know, have you ever noticed how Christians really are generally happier? It is true though. Why are we so happy? It's not because of all the good news we're seeing on television right now. We're not happy because um, everything's working out perfectly in our lives. Do you know that? The reason we're happy is because our sins are forgiven. That we have heaven to look forward to, not because we've earned it or deserved it, because God says, I'll make you saved. That's why the psalmist wrote there in Psalm 32, one, blessed is he whose transgression or sins is forgiven, whose sin is covered. Man, blessed, happy, that, that, that is a result of forgiveness. Now, this is where it'd be wise for me to leave it alone and say the end. But there's something else I need to say that goes with forgiveness that it's something that I can't leave undone. Because the Bible talks a lot about this too. And it has to do with when you are a forgiven sinner, we can just be joyful, have the anticipation of heaven and all that stuff. And that's really good. But there's one more point that I need to make. And that is this. Um, you then now need to forgive others. Once you are a forgiven sinner, 
It makes us forgive others. Um, I almost put on this point, um, it allows us. I almost said that and then I caught myself, wait a minute. It doesn't just allow us to forgive others. It requires us. Do you understand this? Um, when you are a horrible sinner, God says, I will forgive you of your sins. And then all through the Bible says, now as you have been forgiven, Jesus even taught us to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. That's an interesting prayer that sometimes we forget, oh yeah. So when you get in your heart, I'm not gonna forgive them, then the Lord's saying, what? I'm not gonna forgive you. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32 says, let all bitterness, wrath, anger and clamor, uh, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice and be ye kind one to another, tender hearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake hath forgiven you. As God has forgiven you, you're supposed to forgive others. And how has the Lord forgiven you? Unconditionally. He forgave you before you were ever even sorry. There's Jesus hanging on the cross in the worst situation you can imagine. Here, here's men painfully, torturously crucifying God in the flesh. Does it get worse than that? Like there's no worse sin in my opinion that you could ever commit on the planet earth than taking God and giving him a torturous, painful, brutal death on the cross. Meanwhile, Jesus is hanging on that cross saying, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. But you don't know what that person did to me. Doesn't matter, it wasn't as bad as crucifying Jesus on the cross. And like Jesus, you're supposed to forgive, even as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. Well, Brad, I think Ephesians 4 leaves a little wiggle room there. It says, let all bitterness and wrath. I don't know. Well, what about this? If you want an airtight one, here it is, Jesus saying this in Matthew 6, 14 and 15. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you forgive not men their trespasses, neither will the Father forgive you your trespasses. Any questions? <laughs> like Jesus says this, you know, drop the mic moment, and, he, and then he kind of says, the end. That's it. So while we are delirious with joy because our sins are forgiven, I think it's important for you old timer Christians to remember that man, don't forget God's great forgiveness and then also don't forget that we are supposed to forgive others as Christ has you know, forgiven us. What an important role we have to play in this. And that is the end of the story, amen? Lord, we look at this passage and we're so relieved to know that you're the forgiver of sins. Forgiven, Lord, what a, what a declaration, Lord. We don't deserve it. We've all fallen short. No one is righteous, not even one. Your word is right. But how gracious you are and merciful to forgive us our sins and give us the hope of heaven and eternal life. Lord, make us thankful. Help us to not become so aware of forgiveness and it becomes such commonplace that we don't really care about it as much. But make us joyful, Lord. Restore unto us the joy of our salvation, Lord. And for those that have yet to be forgiven who still carry the guilty conscience, those who have yet to confess their sinful need um, to be forgiven, Lord, would you just continue to tap them on the shoulder even right now of their need to accept. As forgiveness comes through just accepting you, Lord, and the work of the cross, dying, raising up from the dead, and then declaring us forgiven. 
If you would, just Christians be in prayer with your heads bowed, everybody's heads bowed, and, and you Christians in prayer. I wonder if there might be a few tonight who'd say, man, I, I know that I'm a sinner and I need to be forgiven. And for whatever reason, maybe you never have confessed your faith in Christ. How do you get forgiveness of sin? You just confess your sins and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Acknowledge your sin to God and repent. That means change your mind about it. Say, I understand I'm a sinner and I acknowledge my sins to God and then, and then accept the gift. The Lord's not gonna push this on you, but he will give it to you if you ask. So if you accept the work of Jesus, when he, the perfect sinless person died on the cross, and if you say, I want that for myself, that forgiveness that comes through Jesus, then Romans 10, verse nine and 10, if you confess with your mouth, believe in your heart, the Lord Jesus, that God raised him from the dead, it says you will be saved. That's why Jesus said it is finished. What was finished? Not just his death, but the dealing with the sinful condition of humanity. Jesus did that. And the way you do that is just accept and believe and confess. Confession with the mouth, belief in the heart, you're saved. That's what the Bible says. So I won't embarrass you or do anything weird, but right where you're sitting, would you acknowledge that if that's you? Just say, Pastor Brett, I, I wanna pray that prayer. And just between you, me, and the Lord, would you acknowledge that by lifting up your hand right now? And I'll just acknowledge you before we pack it up for the night. Let me just look around for a second. Just, just don't be bashful. Everybody else's head's bowed, but just between you and me and the Lord right now, cool. See you back there, that's great. Good. Over here, good. Good, good. Don't let me miss you. Let me just go look around for a second more. Cool. Awesome. I'm going to pray this prayer of confession. And uh, church, let's just pray this all out loud. Get behind these few who are saying, yep, I'm going to get my sins forgiven and be saved by God's grace. This is what makes you a Christian, by the way. Not signing up for a church, not carrying a 20-pound Bible or acting weird. I know some Christians, that seems like it's a requirement. But that's not just... A Christian is a person who acknowledges they're sin, sinful and they're accepting the forgiveness of Jesus from the cross. So let's do that. Church, let's pray this all out loud with these people. Dear Father in heaven, I believe in your son, Jesus Christ. I believe that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose up from the grave and that all my sins are forgiven. Now help me to walk with you. Thank you for saving me. In the name of Jesus Christ. Oh Lord, I thank you for these people who just confessed your, their faith. And Lord, would you just uh, lift that burden of sin off their hearts, Lord, even now, that they know that their sins are forgiven. Lord, so many of us have lived with that burden way too long. And once we have that lifted off, Lord, it's such a good thing to know that our, our slate is clean, that you have washed us and saved us. Lord, we thank you for that. You're so good and gracious and kind. And so, Lord, I pray that we'd live in that kind of graciousness and that we'd forgive others, being quick to forgive others of their sins they've committed against us. Um, so, Lord, I pray your blessing on this congregation as we go our way tonight. In Jesus' name, amen.